We are in our series in Acts chapter 10 this morning on the power of God. Last week we saw the comfort of the Spirit as the one who comforts and encourages and helps us accomplish the mission of God through the exaltation of Christ. And there are certain aspects in in which we look at the book of Acts and we see the power of God through his spirit working in the lives of his church, the people of God. And when we look at every story in Acts, we see the spirit at work. Remember in Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus says this to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, the disciples have testified to who Christ is, to his salvation, that his work on the cross and his resurrection in Jerusalem beginning at Pentecost through the power of the Spirit in which manifests itself in tongues of fire on their heads and has began to begin the church in Jerusalem. And now it began to spread into the outskirts of Judea when they had the stoning of Stephen as the church moved into the outskirts Then the church moves through Philip in the region of Samaria. Peter and John also go to Samaria to check and see if this is true, that the Samaritans are receiving the Holy Spirit just as they did at Pentecost. And the church is being united with Jews and Samaritans. And now the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. It is now the Gentiles' turn to understand that this gospel is one church, one faith, one baptism, one Lord who is Lord above all, and all the nations are represented at the church, the people of God, because the Holy Spirit dwells even amongst the Gentiles, who is most of us in this room. So we should be praising and thanking God for this story of God's continued work to pursue the nations, the spirit for all nations. So turn with me to Acts chapter 10. We're not going to read the longest narrative in Acts. We're going to read a portion of it. Let's start in verse 34. So we'll skip 33 verses. No, we'll come back to it. We'll summarize 33 verses, but we're gonna stand in honor of reading of God's word as we read and begin in verse 34 this morning. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him And does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what had happened 
throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are all witnesses of all that he did in both he did both in, in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him as he rose from the dead, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from, from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then he asked him to remain for some days. You may be seated. The word of the Lord to us from Acts chapter 10. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts through your scriptures, that we do not open this story as people who are just going to skim over this passage of scripture because of the power of God through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and your spirit who wants to work in our hearts and our minds for your glory and your praise, Lord. We ask that our people would see the truths that are in this passage, that we would be people who are transformed, to be people who boldly proclaim your word to the nations. Lord, give us people to proclaim your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As some of you guys know, Jordan and I spent two years in Thailand a long time ago, and you'll see in these pictures that I'm about to show you, but there was a man in Thailand, his name was Joe. That's Joe right there. That's 24-year-old Rob next to him, and that's his son right there. And uh, that, my friends, is Joe. He was from a small village. You can change the next slide there. He was from a small village. His wife lived in the village and Joe had moved to the city to try to pay for his family to live. You can change, change the picture there. There's Joe and his family, his wife, and they're on their bike. That's what Joe owned to go to and from work. He used to drive into the mountains near the Burmese border from Chiang Mai to go and visit his family, but he would work in the city at a store in the mall called Sports World. Change, go to the next slide. I, I began meeting with Joe. I don't know if we have any more slides, so that may be the end, but I began meeting with Joe uh, once a week. He began to study English. I met him at Sports World. You know me, I was in the sports store 
checking things out and made this guy share the gospel with him. He says, you want to, I said, he probably wasn't too much interested in the gospel. I said, you want to learn English? He said, yeah, sure. I said, let's meet and we'll talk about the gospel in English. And uh, so I started talking to him about Jesus in English and he, he became uh, he, he shared with me that he was maybe a Christian, and, but didn't really want to know about the word. And then all of a sudden, when he starts hearing the stories of God and the stories of truth, he turns to me one, one day when we're studying these things, and he says, Rob, I don't think that I'm saved. And I need to be baptized, because I have never truly received salvation. He was saved and he was baptized. This people group is a different people group than the Thai people. It's called the Karen people. They're a hill tribe people. Most of them are actually Christians. And he was probably born into a Christian home but never realized, understood what salvation was for himself. He said, Rob, you know what? I would really like for you to go and visit my family. Would you like to come to the mountains to visit my family? So we took this trek uh, up to his, his village near the Burmese border, the Karen people. And uh, we got a little bit down the road and realized that the road ended. And he said, no, we just go up that dirt path. And I said, do you want me to go in, in my two-wheel drive car here? He said, yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. So we're going up this mountain and we get to a steep decline and then a steep incline. And if you've been on muddy roads or not non-paved roads before and you have two-wheel drive, pickup truck, trying to get up the road in mud is nearly impossible. And so we come down and we try to get up and go about a quarter of the way up and realize we're not going to get up the hill. Now, we're, we're a couple hours outside of the road. And Jordan and I kind of look at each other and go, what, what are we going to do? And Joe had told us that these roads aren't paved because the um, Thai government um, doesn't, doesn't monitor these roads because these are drug trafficking roads that drug traffickers will go on and uh, they traffic drugs and the Thai government doesn't monitor it. So we're thinking to ourselves, great, we're going to be here and we're going to get killed by a drug trafficker. And uh, so we're trying to get up this road. And, and finally, we, we figure out that if we reverse it far enough and make it all the way back up, then we can drive as fast as we can to try and get up enough speed to get up the hill. And so Jordan's taking the wheel. And Joe and I are behind the car, running behind it, pushing it as fast as we can up this hill. And as the mud is slinging onto us, as we're trying to push this car up, we get it up the hill. And then we get to his village. In, this, in the mountains, dirt road, nobody goes there. And... They began, we began seeing a church in this village. We began asking them, how do you know Jesus? Up here in the mountains, nobody's here. You're a hill tribe people. 
They even had the Bible translated into their own language. And this mountains. And there is a man named Adoniram Judson, born in 1788, one of the earliest American missionaries. He served Burma from 1813 to 1850. He was responsible for translating the Bible into Burmese. And when he arrived to Burma, it was a missionary wasteland. No enduring evangelic presence, no healthy churches, no native Christians from which to begin a movement of God. He spent the first six years in Burma without a single convert. But when Judson died, Burma had over 100 churches and, and 1,000 Christians. Judson would translate the entire New Testament into Burmese. In 1828, Judson, while he was sharing with the Burmese people, met a Karen, a hill tribe person. And he was an angry Karen who had been involved with robbery and murder. And Judson shared Christ with him. His name was Tabu, and he was baptized. He became the first known Karen convert to Christianity. In his first 12 years, this man, Tabu, saw 1,270 Karen come to faith in Christ. And 185 years later, there are people worshiping in remote villages with no access to the gospel. While we were there, they actually shared with us, one of the leaders in the village, that one day they hoped that the Karen people who were in these villages up in the mountains would be the ones to bring the gospel to the northern Thai people. Because the northern Thai people are 99.6% Buddhist. Think God has a heart for the nations? I think he does. We come to this morning to Acts chapter 10 in which the gospel goes to the nations and it begins with one person just like Judson began with one man. And now a whole people group knows about Jesus generations after. Who's your one? Who is your one? Oftentimes we talk here in places about reaching all these people groups. Let's reach a people group for Christ. Let's take the gospel and change a whole nation. Before we change a whole nation, we gotta see the one who God has put in our path for his glory. This is the longest story in the book of Acts and what a beautiful story it is. I'm gonna summarize it for you. A wealthy man in Caesarea, his name's Cornelius. He's a Gentile who 
feared God. It means he knew who God was. He worshiped him through a life of obedience to God. He was a prayerful man who prayed continuously. And an angel visits Cornelius during his prayer time and tells him to go to Joppa, 31 miles, and get Peter. He doesn't tell him the gospel. He tells him to go get someone who understands the gospel. So Cornelius sends some soldiers to Peter And while Peter is praying, as the soldiers are coming, he has a vision. And in his vision, there's this great sheet that comes down by the four corners of the earth and all kinds of animals, reptiles, birds. And there came a voice to Peter. He says, rise, kill, and eat. Now in the Old Testament, the law said that these foods were unclean. God's people were not allowed to eat certain things like pork and other animals. They were to be separate. And the reason why was they were to be separate from the pagans and also to protect them from diseases. They didn't cook the meat like we do today. And Peter, when he hears this, says, no, I'm not gonna eat anything unclean. And the voice came to him, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happens three times Peter is perplexed. The scripture tells us in the ESV that Peter is confused. He's perplexed. He has no idea what's going on. Sometimes that's how we feel sometimes with the Lord when he's speaking to us. or We don't understand immediately what he's doing. And yet Peter is thinking about this vision and men from Cornelius are at his gate. Verse 19 says this. And while Peter was Pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter goes with them, and all these people are gathered at Cornelius' house, verse 28. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is, this is Peter speaking, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for you, I came without objection. I ask, then why you sent for me? Why did you sin for me? Peter, Peter's going, the Spirit is, is connecting these people, right? He's connecting and Peter's going, I don't know why I'm here, but I'm here. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing, but I am here. Cornelius responds in verse 34 or Cornelius responds and tells us The angel told us that we needed you to hear what God has for us. So tell us. And that's where we begin in verse 34. So Peter opens his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is point number one, this section of scripture. God sends his people to all nations through the spirit. God sends his people to all nations through the spirit. You see the mystery in the Old Testament 
that God reveals in the New Testament is God's covenant people, not only Israel, but now Christ has torn down the dividing wall of hostility and now Gentiles and Jews are the church. Ephesians 3, 4 through 6 says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. They're partakers of the promise of salvation in Christ through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, some in the Old Testament and Peter here, God has to send a vision to him and tell him three times to understand what he's talking about. But God had a plan for the nations from the beginning. If you look at the Old Testament, God's heart for the nations is all over the Old Testament. Do a word search for nations or peoples of the earth or all the peoples and you see it. Even in Abraham, the birth of the Jewish nation, God says this to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Who is the blessing coming through? It's coming through Abraham. And who comes in the seed of Abraham? It is Christ. So even in the beginning of the Jewish nation, God's own people, God's covenant people, he says, you are gonna be blessed through the nation of Israel. Genesis 28, 14, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, speaking to Abraham, and you will spread out the west and to the east, to the north and the south. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Who is the offspring? It is Christ. Who is the seed, the root of Jesse, who will come through David? It's Christ. He will be the blessing in which all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Why? Because salvation has come to the Gentiles through Christ, through the gospel. 1 Kings 8.60 God's talking and he says, so that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-seven: all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. Isaiah 49, 6, the Lord says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. You think, you think the Lord is, is messing around here in the Old Testament? He is saying, I am taking the salvation to the nations. And yet, even Jesus' own disciples don't really understand the full concept of that. God's plan from the beginning was to redeem the nations, to make them his possession, to make them his people and get, grant them salvation. God shows no partiality. That's what the text says here. God shows no partiality. Anyone can come to Christ, Jew or Gentile, because of the gospel.
in a world in which, let me read you verse 28 first. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. God shows no partiality. And the vision for Peter was to show him that the Gentiles are receiving the kingdom of God. So in a world in which inclusion and diversity are in such high regard, the church ought to be leaders in these things, not from a definition of these things, from a worldly perspective, but from a biblical perspective. What does that mean? It means are we inclusive as a church? Of course. There is no one who is outside of God's provision for salvation through Christ. That means anybody can come in here and hear the gospel message and life be transformed and saved by the grace of God. Therefore, anyone is welcome to come and hear the message of the gospel and be saved, no matter what their background is. Do we judge outsiders? No way. But those who claim to know Jesus Christ ought to throw off the old self and place on the new created in Christ Jesus to do his work. So we inclusive, yes, because the gospel is inclusive. Should we be diverse? Yes. Because God's plan of salvation is for all nations. So for Christians, we should be reaching cross-culturally to other people groups. Now this is difficult. Why is it difficult? Because you may not understand the culture in Thailand, the culture. You go to a house and before you enter into the house, you take your shoes off. You enter into the sanctuary, you take your shoes off. So everybody that was in here this morning, if you were in Thailand, you'd have shoe racks in the back and everyone would put your shoes on and you'd enter the house of the Lord to hear the preaching and the message with no shoes on. Does that sound weird to you? It's culturally appropriate in Thailand. It's very unappropriate to leave your shoes on. Now, we don't let those things get in the way of the Christ and the gospel message. But if you think about these things, we have all sorts of subcultures in America. We have American subcultures. And sometimes it's hard for us to understand these subcultures and it's hard for us to understand the culture in which people are raised in. Think about it. You have a southern hospitality culture. You have a different cultures from different places. A Californian may not look like an Oklahoman, okay? Right? And yet... God has called us to rise above these cultural differences to come together for the sake of the gospel. 
See, what the world does is the world takes these biblical thought processes of diversity, inclusion, and twists them to include a perversion of these ideas. Yet we as the people of God, his church, must continue to remind ourselves that we must go to other people of other cultures, of other nations, of other look and different and feel than us for the sake of the gospel. Therefore, we go to our atheistic friend or our gay or lesbian, Muslim, illegal, liberal, conservative neighbor because of the gospel. Rather than just going to families who look and act like me, we cross the culture. Adoniram Judson spent six years sharing the gospel without a convert cross-culturally. It's difficult, it's hard. It takes effort, it takes patience, it takes grace. Yet the gospel is so worth it. Who is your one? He says in verse 35, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. The spirit is at work in the life of people. Do we believe that, church? He has been preparing Cornelius for this moment. And do you believe that he's preparing other people for moments to hear the message of the gospel? I do believe that. The Spirit prepares them and he calls them to himself, helping them understand who the Lord is and desire to live in obedience to him. Yet he brings us, the church, the people of God, along to share Christ and the power of the Spirit so that they can repent of their ways and follow Jesus. One of the most beautiful things in the world and one of the reasons I love going to the nations even on short-term trips is watching believers in different cultures, tribes, tongues, and nations worship the Lord in their own way. Simply fantastic. It's beautiful because they're given, they're God-given characteristics in their own cultures and using them for the glory of God. Verse 36 says this, as the word that he sent to Israel preaching the good news. What is this section? This is the sermon. Now, is this the entire sermon? I don't know. But it's all that we need to exalt King Jesus for the Spirit to work in the life of a person. Listen to this. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did in both country of the Jews and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead and he commanded us to preach to the people 
and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now what is that about? What is Peter preaching? They came to him and they said, what what do you have to offer to us? Who is Jesus? Exalting the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is our second point this morning. It's thus. The Spirit moves when Christ is exalted. The Spirit moves when Christ is exalted. Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit is free to come and to go whenever and however he pleases. He is free to give gifts. He is free to withhold gifts, to regenerate and convict and baptize, seal, to fill, to comfort, to counsel, whenever he wills, according to his own infinite wisdom. He is not bound by our programs or our desires. He is not constrained by what we think or how we think the Holy Spirit should act. Hebrews 2.4 says this, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It's not distributed according to our will as leaders in the church, it's not distributed as our will according to us as Christians, it's distributed according to his will. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, all of these are empowered by one and the same spirit, talking about the gifts of the spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. He apportions the gifts of the spirit to his church, to each one as he wills. John 3, 7, and 8 tells us one more time, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So if anyone thinks that they can control the Holy Spirit, woe to him as the Holy Spirit is not controlled by any man. So don't think that I'm saying that if you preach Christ, somehow you can control the Spirit to work. It doesn't happen like that. God does as he wishes. He apportions the Holy Spirit as he wishes. But Scripture does tell us what the spirit of the living God wants to do. And what does he want to do? John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He, speaking of the Holy Spirit, will glorify me. Speaking of Christ, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what will the Spirit do? The Spirit of the living God, the promise here from Christ is the Spirit of the living God will glorify Christ. He will exalt Christ. 
He will uphold Christ. He will make Christ known among the peoples of the earth. So I think that there is a direct correlation with Peter and the sermon Peter preaches about Christ and the Holy Spirit's work in the hearts and the minds of those who heard. Why? Because what does the Spirit want to accomplish? He wants to glorify Jesus. So I can tell you one thing, the Spirit will not show up if the church or the people of of God are not glorifying Christ. We can't control the Spirit, yet he will not do what he does not want to do already, which is to glorify Christ. If we are not glorifying Christ, how will we expect him to show himself in power. Because before the sermon is even over, after this whole long preaching by Peter about Christ and who Christ is, verse 44 happens. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So even before he's even done with his sermon, The Holy Spirit is falling upon the people of God here. So very quickly, and I don't want to take too much time, how does Peter exalt Christ? How does he make Christ the center of his sermon? How does he make Christ the center of what he says? How does he make Christ, exaltation of Christ and who he is here? Look at it with me very quickly. Verse 36 As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace. He calls Jesus the bringer of peace. He brought peace between a righteous and holy God and man through the gospel, the good news. Then he says in verse 36, he is Lord of all. You see, God did not send an errand boy to bring peace. He meant business, so he sent the Lord of all to come to reconcile mankind with God himself. Verse 38, how God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus is fully man. The Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus had a hometown, just like you and me. And he relied upon the power of the Spirit, yet was without sin. He took on flesh and made his dwelling among men. He is fully God, the Lord of all, and yet he's fully man. Jesus of Nazareth. He made his dwelling as a, for us, a propitiation for sinners, the appeasement of God's wrath. He was fully human, yet sinless. Verse 38. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He overcame the brokenness of the world. He overcame Satan himself. Guess what? Christ now in us gives us the same ability to overcome Satan himself, even in our lives, even with temptation that we have. 
God was with him. Verse 39. And we are witnesses of all that he did in both country of the Jews and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. They hung him on a tree. He became a curse for us. He died in our place. Galatians 3.13 says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Verse 40, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Jesus is alive. He is not dead. We testify to that as believers, as a church, every single Sunday, not just Easter Sunday, but every single Sunday when we declare that Jesus reigns and rules forever and he is alive. Amen? Verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. He's coming to judge again. We testify to that. The book of Revelation tells us that the wrath of God is being poured out, but those who have dipped, who have their robes dipped in the Lamb's blood are spared from the wrath of God being poured out and are able to stand before the throne in worship of the one true king and the one who sits the right hand of the father, the lamb who was slain. He is coming to judge and he will make all things right. Verse 43, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Faith in Christ produces forgiveness of sins through his name. And at that moment, when you know that Christ is the one who is the whole Bible is spoken of, that everything points to that is the central focus of this church, the word of God, and you understand that forgiveness of sins is only through the name of Christ. And at that moment, Peter's still talking as pastors do, they talk. Still saying these things, the Holy Spirit says, that's, that's all I need. And he falls upon the Gentiles. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and ask him, then they asked him to remain some days. This is the last part and this is the finish water baptism is the sign of the spirit's baptism you see the the result of the gospel the result of the spirit coming upon God's people was the same as Pentecost a manifestation of the spirit of God 
The Jews had this manifestation by tongues of fire, declaring tongues, known languages to which people could understand that they were extolling God, that they were proclaiming the name of this God, that they were praising God. And now the Gentiles have the same expression. They don't have tongues of fire. It doesn't tell us they have tongues of fire. But they're sharing these, these tongues. Every time someone is saved, we don't have tongues of fire descending on someone. Neither do we have people speaking in tongues. Yet we do hear because... It is important for those of the circumcision group to understand that these are children of God, that they have understood that these people are filled with the Holy Spirit just as we were. God makes it very clear. And there's a clear picture here of water baptism after salvation, after receiving the Holy Spirit. These new believers are baptized after they had received the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3.11 tells us, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Peter tells us even in the next chapter we'll get to next week, but he was reminded of what the Lord had said, that he would baptize, that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean? This means that salvation precedes the public proclamation of your faith in baptism. It's a very simple thing, yet many don't understand this. Um, actually, J Judson, on his way to Burma, began studying baptism because he knew he was gonna run into William Carey, a great Baptist missionary in India. And he was going to tell him what he thought about infant baptism Judson was a congregationalist and believed in infant baptism. And so he was going to tell William Carey what baptism really meant and how it, how, it, how it related. And he started studying the scriptures. And as he studied, he became a Baptist. And when he got off the ship, he had William Carey baptize him and his wife on their way to Burma in India. You see, the, the baptism is such a beautiful picture of the gospel, right? When we baptize someone in the waters here, we are proclaiming the gospel in their life. The death, the burial, and the resurrection in Christ Jesus. Now they have died and now they live in Christ. That the Spirit now has covered them. They are baptized, they are immersed in the spirit of the living God who, who, who sees them and when God looks at them, he sees them as holy and righteous and good. Why? Because the blood of Christ covers their sin. They are forgiven of their sin. 
It's a beautiful picture. And it's a beautiful picture described for these people at this moment to understand the gospel is for them. And isn't that beautiful for baptism that the gospel is for me? So it just starts with one, right? Judson had one Corinne person. Peter had one Cornelius. So before we get all, we got to go to Africa and we got to reach this whole people group and this is God's design for us. Let's reach the one who God has given to us. We're going to start Language Learning Fellowship. Had a meeting this week, hopefully in the fall. We have the nations coming to us right here in our building, 100, 120 people every week who don't speak English. Let's reach one. Let's exalt Christ with our words, with our preaching, in our small groups, with our life, with our children. Let them know who this Jesus is. And if we haven't been baptized, let's get baptized. And when we do baptize, we want to celebrate. Because the gospel is living inside of a human being who's proclaiming that to his church and his community. That I believe in Jesus and that he lives and the Holy Spirit lives in me. So let's be a church about those things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning for the, the worship through the word of God as we hear these beautiful stories of your faithfulness to people. That you, you would seek after us. That you would love us so much that you would send people to us. Father, may we be used by you to be people that are sent. And may you, Father, transform the lives of people through the power of your spirit, just as you did in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius and his whole family, his whole household, who heard the words of Christ and were transformed by them. May we exalt the name of Jesus for he's worthy of worship. And Father, send us to our one. Father, we know that the enemy wants to steal our joy in evangelism. He wants us to cloud our energy and our thoughts. Give us the perseverance of Adoniram Judson. that we may see people saved and transformed by the gospel. Lord, we ask if there are people here this morning who have never publicly professed their faith in Christ, we pray that they would do that this morning. 
And we pray that it would follow with believers' baptism, that they would rejoice and that our church would rejoice that they've been filled with the Spirit and given the Spirit of God. We pray for all of these things to happen, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.